Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everyone, from uh, an increasingly um, autumnal, if that's the right word, San Francisco. It's certainly chillier here. Our our conventional late summer is coming to an end and we're catching up in a reverse kind of way with the rest of the country when it comes to climate um, and seasons. Um, time, of course, works in a funny way. It's supposed to be October the 18th, 2021. Uh, but my conversation today is a kind of reverse back to uh, 2011 or 2010 or 2012. It's a funny uh, it's a funny old thing, time. David Bowie wrote about it. Lots of people think about the ironies, the paradoxes of time. This time um, last year, I interviewed uh, Vanessa v uh, Veselka, the Portland-based uh, novelist. Um, uh, the headline from Lit Hub was, How do you write about labor exploitation in contemporary fiction? I'm not sure that's an entirely fair reflection of her, <laughs> of her book, uh, her, her book that came out last year, The Great Offshore Grounds, um, uh, which um, was a wonderful, is a wonderful book. Uh, I think it's out in paperback now. Uh, and it got it, really amazing. It got shortlisted for the, uh, not shortlisted, sorry, longlisted for the National Book Awards for Fiction, which was a, a which was a real honor for Vanessa. And as a consequence of that, I think at least in part, time has moved back for Vanessa. Uh, her first novel, Zazen, um, which uh, in 2012 won the Penn Robert W. Bingham Prize, I think for first fiction, has now been reissued. So we're back with Zazen, her first book, as a consequence of the enormous commercial and particularly critical success of, um, of her latest book, The Great Offshore Grounds. Uh, and I'm thrilled that um, Vanessa is joining us once again from uh, her home in Portland. Uh, she is, when I think of Portland, I think of Vanessa Veselka. Uh, Vanessa, this return to Zazen, it's like going back to your first child, isn't it? Is it somewhat ironic and weird to be reissuing this book 10 years after you wrote it? Yes, it is. It, it really is. And, um, you know, when I finish a work, probably like most writers, I don't know, um, I don't ever read it again. You know what I mean? Like I read a couple of snippets here and there in yeah. New York and I'm touring it. And then I never look at it. So now, you know, I have this complete, I have people telling me what was in it a lot of times. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that there was a police riot over race and killing of unarmed black men and you know i mean it just there are things that I like literally forgot that i put in there um so it's interesting in that way and you know time has moved on and what was considered by many at the time to be a kind of dystopia and i'm i never considered it that um has now become in many ways people's lived experience and so that's an interesting change i'm seeing yeah and you've um You've jumped on my. You've jumped ahead of me, as you always seem to do with readers Sorry. and questioners, Vanessa. That was my next question. This book, Vazazan, which is a wonderful read, is. Thank you. And again, I'm careful with this word. You can correct me if I'm wrong. It's a. 
a dystopian take on America written in 2011 or 2010. It came, I guess it was probably written in the 20, in the first decade of the 2020s, uh, sorry, of the, of the, of, of, uh, of, of the 20s. Uh, but um, it's come true uh, in a sense, uh, Vanessa. Yeah. Is that fair? I mean, is, is Zazen today in October 2021, is it a more relevant book than perhaps it was in October 2011? Zazen was more relevant to me in 2011. And by that, what I mean is that um, I was able through it to describe a world in figurative language that I saw around me. Uh, and I had a character who named everything, you know, in terms of how she experienced it. And that gave me a lot of freedom as a writer to work in the space between today and tomorrow. Um, I think the big difference for me was I felt all those things going on. You know, people used to say to me, oh, it's dystopia. And I would say like, no, it's what's happening. <laughs> you know I mean? That's how I experienced it. And, um, and yet, you know, I think the, because a friend of mine asked me about this and I think that maybe the electric dread that was the reading experience for many people when they first read it um, has changed to a sense at times of like, humor and sadness. Um, but I think that the, it is with mixed emotions that I say, I think the book has a more mass appeal now than when it came out. So I yeah, and I mean, since over the last 10 years, obviously, we've had Trump, we've had the brink of civil war in Portland, we've had Black Lives Matter, we've had the imminence of, 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 of the climate apocalypse, um, the breakdown of democracy around the world. Very briefly, Vanessa, what is Zazen about? Uh, why should people read it now? What's its story? So to me, Zazen is about, can you sit still on fire? Um, and starts in the beginning of the book. And by that, what I mean is when, when everything around you seems to be burning, when, uh, when all the you know, ways or ideologies or pathways or lifestyles don't seem sufficient to what's happening, you know, and in, in the book, um, you know, Della, who is a paleontologist is, you know, confronted with like her parents are new left revolutionaries who've sort of like pieced out and gone to the mountains, you know, and are like flawless in their ideology and nothing in their practice. Um, yeah, and you are just to add an autobiographical note, you're a, at least your website suggests a student of paleontology. So this is not a disinterested, uh, no narrative and you know i left that a long time ago what i found when i started writing della was that the language of geology provided a lot of ways to look at perspective she is i see her as a character who's constantly like zooming in and out on history and trying to figure out how far away do i have to stand to where it's not breaking my heart completely and i go mad how close can i be without you know, just being on fire myself, you know, I mean, and it's yeah. just a constant, you know, one point she makes a, a crack in there, like a distance of 68 million years seems to be about right, you know, but I, I do want to say, you know, the other thing I noticed is that, you know, I wrote this story of Zazen being a little bit prescient was happening at the time that it came out in the year that it came out after I'd written it. Uh, the Arab Spring happened, people were setting themselves on fire, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, sort of, happened a couple of years later. Um, there were, you know, I remember the very 
after I wrote one of the chapters, uh, um, you know, that has a, a character and a big car on a dais that people are praying for uh, in a mall, you know, I saw this picture in the cover of New York Times of this woman, you know, spinning around in a church up to the dais about um, the, uh, basically the car industry, like praying for the car industry to come back. And, um, you know, there were substations on fire and, and anarchists. And so, I mean, it's sort of felt like it's in the stream of things um, for a while. And I, you know, yeah, I think I, but geology was a language in which I first be, began to explore. She's trying to understand her world and she's trying to map it. Geologists map a lot of things and she's trying to map it in a way that she can make sense so that she knows what to do. And that's yeah, ma of maps. So I guess things you use to get your way out or find places you've mentioned a world on fire. One of the, the metaphors you use in the book and, and it's a literal historical one is self immolation. Uh, there's a reference the Perhaps the, the best known self-immolation, most Jan effective Palak. in some ways, was the, the Czech student activist, uh, Jan Palak. What is it about self-immolation that in your mind, especially given all these references you make to fire both today and in the book, why is that so significant for, for you and for the book? So and I, I think also the, the Zen monk in 63 who set himself on fire in the middle of the traffic. Uh, it was an image burned into my mind very much. So those were sort of the right, two. And that, that was in Vietnam, right? Yes. And the, those were sort of the two poles for me of, of that experience. Um, I think that there's a natural, you know, some people look over the edge of a building and they feel semi-drawn to go down. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an impulse that's strange and disturbing. And I felt that looking at those images on fire, this sort of like wanting to come into the image and also being horrified. And um, and I think that what Della is concerned with in the beginning of the book where she gets fascinated with that image is the fact that somebody could sit completely still with all of that going on around them and in them. And, and you know, just sort of burn away, you know? So I don't think that she has, I don't think she's suicidal. It's not that, it's it's the emotional impact of the world uh, and things being on fire. Um, and, you know, I think she's fascinated with it, but she also sees, you know, as it comes up in the first part of the book, she, there's also all of these other people who do it for like kind of vague reasons of general apathy. And I think that that's also a frame for her of, you know, it's a political act. It's a personal, like, I think she sees it as a way of completely overcoming, um, you know, any impulse you have to run. And at the same time, it's become, you know, in the, this moment in the 21st century, you know, everything is so diffuse that you have people who would, you know, would light themselves on fire to, you know, just to make a statement on general apathy. You know what I mean? Like it's just, uh, you or know, to, uh, or to build up their Instagram following. Um, uh, uh, tomorrow I've got uh, African-American writer Misha Cherry on the show. She's written a book about rage. Uh, I, I was thinking about your work and rage um, in that context. It seems as if a lot of the characters in, in both your books, and particularly this one, they're full of rage and they're struggling to articulate that rage. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that in this book in particular, Della 
Della's the main character. The, yes, the... I'm sorry. Della's the main character, and it's a first-person narrative, so you really get her world, you know. Um, and you might just it, say very. You might just describe her very briefly. She's she works in a cafe, but she also is a a PhD student. She's just gotten her PhD um, when the book starts, and she's kind of had a uh, breakdown in the last few months of working on her PhD, which is in extinction patterns and geology. And um, she is back home living with her brother and her sister-in-law. Um, her brother is a union organizer and, um, you know, her, she's living in their attic. Um, her sister-in-law is pregnant and she's working in a vegan restaurant and she's trying to get her life together is kind of the start of it. Um, and it starts with talks of people leaving the country and sort of, you know, time to go and be an expatriate. And so, you know, it's political from the beginning and it's political throughout, but I think her rage is uh, also offset by a deep heartbreak that comes in and out and a lot of satire. Um, so I think that, you know, her voice, as I experienced writing it, was kind of polyphonic that way. Um, and yeah, and so rage is definitely, definitely a part, but there's a kind of fight against hopelessness that comes in and out that I think she struggles with. Um, yeah. Yeah, what I liked, uh, when I, I mean, I love the book. In okay. fact, I think I, I want to say I prefer it to the other book, but it's an easier read and it's obviously a shorter read. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a more conventional book, I think, than yes. uh, the other book. Uh, the, uh, the book that just, uh, I mean, they're both essential reading, The Great Offshore Grounds. One of the things I liked about the book is the way you put food as, and I've got <laughs> yes. this headline from Wikipedia, food politics. I'm not sure if that's the right headline, but you as the writer use food politics as the way to uh, allow uh, the female narrator in the book to articulate her rage in a, in a kind of satirical, but also political sense. Why is food so important? Perhaps for you and, and for the book itself. Well, you know, Portland's a pretty food uh, politics obsessed town. It's on the one hand, a very, what's the term, foodie town. And on the other hand, you know, it's like there's a sort of high end niche business and, uh, you know, in all sorts of farming and um and then there's, you know, so there's, there's vegans, there's a lot of, you know, uh, you're going to have a lot of vegans and you're going to also have a lot of, um, you know, how to butcher your own meat. In, yeah. in literally. I mean, the there's same. a strong element of satire. Are you yes. perhaps in your own way suggesting that this food politics is, 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 is absurd? I think that uh, food politics, I actually believe that food politics is important important in terms of um, impact on the planet. And I think that also I do question where my food comes from and I try and I make a lot of choices around that. I think the identity branding of it is absurd. I think that um, it becomes its own, you know, I guess what I, I, what I would say is it's not just food politics. It's like all the ways that something small becomes a religion. You know, uh, veganism in particular and the difference between veganism and vegetarianism and how people obsess over that. Yeah. And I also know, you know, I just want to say, I also know amazing non-judgmental vegans and things like that. But I think there's a cultural way of talking about things that become, there's an obsession with purity. 
right? There's an obsession yeah, exactly. with security. There's an obsession with, you know, one of the things that Dell is trying to figure out is like she's at different times trying to say, well, is there a way to not be complicit in this world? And one of the things that she, that she finds out, particularly around the storyline around the unarmed black men, is that there isn't a way for her to not be complicit in this world. That every act you do, you know, it affects other people and has ramifications. You're never going to be able to find out about or control. Um, so. And this, uh, yeah, yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more about this fetishization of purity. Mm -hmm. Although maybe I'm a little bit more critical than you. I'm sure you're purer than I am. I'm a particularly impure person. Uh, I had. Um, Vladimir Alexandrov, the Yale Slavicist on the show, he wrote a wonderful book about this sort of, uh, this Russian revolutionary, Boris Savinkov, who was a founder of the Social Revolutionary Party, eventually put to death by uh, the Bolsheviks. And it increasingly seems to me as if America is like late, late 19th century Russia in our intellectual class's obsession with purity. Do you think there's something in that? Yes, I do. It's funny because I have a friend who I love dearly, whose name is Molly Crabapple, and she's a illustrator and writer, and she's working on a book uh, which she learned Yiddish to be able to read all the resource, you know, all the research data uh, that goes into all the internecine politics of like 1905 you know, revolutionaries in Russia and, you know, in terms of the labor bond and, and it is, you know, some of the stuff, you know, is, is hilarious as she's described it to me and, and not surprising if you've ever been about purist politics, but, you know, some of the stuff is, you know, people being interviewed in the fifties and sixties who are still mad about small splits and arguments back from 1905. But I think that thing about purity, that litmus test quality is, is, hugely dangerous. Um, I think it's really, really dangerous. And I think that where it's gotten Americanized is when you take that kind of um, identity, you know, like I'm not saying identity politics, what I'm saying is like that any, I mean that in the broader sense, if I say that, um, when you take that sort of obsession with purity, you know, you have to believe this and 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 this, one thing knocks you out. Um, then not only are you not getting authentic experiences or real engagement and conversation, which has its own ramifications, but I, but I think that, um, you know, you're, it's so close to branding. It's to me the exact internalize it's the perfect internalization of capitalism in, in, into our systems of everything it's like my brand is this one thing off brand that's it you know i have no brand and this is my brand and so i think there's a really dangerous pairing there that we're seeing in a lot of places but it's beyond i mean i agree with you on brand but it goes to violence um we had William Arkin on the show, an expert on 9-11. I'm sure in some ways nine, the, the experience of 9-11 influenced Zazen as, as, as it's hard to escape the 9-11 consequences. Your book has this subtext of terrorism in a slightly ironic, absurdist sense. But there is an atmosphere of violence underpinning Zazen, which of course fits very much now into an America where people are increasingly believing that we're on the verge of civil war. Uh, is the U.S. headed for another civil war? Lots of headlines. And uh, you know this in Portland better than anyone. Uh, perhaps in some ways, Portland has been in a state of civil war. 
since Black Lives Matter. What's the relationship between Zazen and violence? Is it a warning? Yeah, I think in some ways it is. I think it's also, you know, Della, I wouldn't say she's a pacifist per se, but um, she deeply distrusts the people that she sees in that world. And, and I think that she's looking for a more human understanding between things. Uh, but she's very firmly on the, I mean, she is a leftist, you know, um, but I think that she has a lot of, sees a lot of absurdity and, um, and danger. I mean, like when she first, she calls him bomb threats and, you know, at different times. And when she first calls one in, it's because she's very aware of how she feels terrorized by, you know, she's gotten to the point where like loud noises, you know, yeah. um, bangs and things like that, you know, she only conjure images of violence. I will say that a major, major influence on Zazen was school shootings and, um, you know, the Chechen, um, why yeah, am I the mass murder in church? Yeah. The... yeah. It were, were the, probably the biggest conscious, um, you know, because I could understand this is something that like, I think is in there, which is, and this I think comes from my own feelings and I don't know how much it showed up in Della, but I think it's in there. Um, you know, I can understand, I can put together a logical set of circumstances where you can make the case on paper for certain kinds of violence as, you know, insurgent remove, you know I mean? Like all sorts of things, but I can't understand the moment when you walk into the building and start killing children. I can't understand the moment where that happens. I think the pairing, one of the things I learned writing Zazen that was very eye-opening to me and in some ways is obvious, but I didn't quite understand it is that the rise of suicide bombers and things like that really comes out of, the, uh, that parallels the rise of television and the and spectacle, right? Not that yeah. television didn't exist at all before, I mean, spectacle didn't exist at all before television, but it really follows the same trajectory. And, and I think at the beginning, she sort of sees people putting themselves on fire as a counter to that, you know, that protest. Um, but that is, you know, there is a fear of violence and there's an engagement in violence. When she decides that she wants to call in the bomb threat to the, what she calls the box mall church, she, you know, the, the name of the organization she gives is um, Citizens for a Rabbit Economy and that, you know, the bomb is going to um, stimulate new job growth and, you know, economic activity. And, um, you know, I mean, like it, it, there's a satire, but there's also a rage and a well, violence. It's, yeah, it's back to the rage. And if you don't articulate that rage properly, as we know from Russian history and many other countries' history, then it just degenerates into violence. Um, in, in one sense, perhaps the book has aged. Uh, I had Dave Eggers on the show recently. His new book, The Every, sort of treats terrorism in, in the same satirical but serious way as you do but of course in the every the terrorism is against this amazon google like company uh in your book the terrorism is against walmart if you were writing it again might you uh replace i mean you're obviously you're in portland you're close to seattle amazon is perhaps the most fearful of all the big tech companies might you have replaced walmart with amazon yeah, I mean, I think I might have. I think that um, two things. First of all, my first 
union organizing experience was when I worked at the Amazon warehouse in Seattle and tried to unionize in 99. Mm. So I'm very familiar with Amazon. I have. Oh, no, I know. I'm not suggesting you're not. No, no, no. I don't mean that. What I mean is um, I think that, you know, if I were to make that choice today, in some ways, Amazon, it, you know, Walmart can feel a little bit passe right now because of the way that people have sort of explored all of those things, at, you know, but I think that um, the physical buildings themselves in, in Walmart, the way they're constructed, this, you know, sort of ex the, who goes there, how people are sort of, their interests are, you know, appear to be, you know, create a, a you know, self-infliction of harm. Um, I think that all of those things to me were, were geographical and for Adela, there is a geographical focus. Um, so I don't know, I don't know if I were to redo it. I mean, I think Amazon, you know, could it be set in an Amazon fulfillment center? Yes, it could be set in an Amazon fulfillment center. I think, um, I would have to think more about what that setting would be. Um, but yes, you know, it is, uh, well, that, in that sense, perhaps the world has changed between 2011 and 2021, or that hasn't changed in many other ways. Um, the book is, as I said, it's wonderful. I'm, I've got to ask you the, the cheesy question, Vanessa. Who, as a quote-unquote dystopian novel, I mean, who, who influenced you? Uh, I, I immediately, reading the book, I thought of Delilo, the way you crystallize your own kind of anger into this highly surreal, absurdist world. Uh, are there particular writers that influenced you with Zazen as this first book? Um, funny thing about Delillo, uh, people had said, have said that to me. So uh, I went and found his work after I um, wrote Zazen. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> You know, some things I thought I invented. Yeah, I and I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting you read Eggers and uh, you read. Oh, no, uh, no, no, no. I don't mean that. What I mean is it was, it was funny. I mean, when White I Noise in particular, which is one of my favorite ones. Which... Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I would say that um, Blood Meridian, uh, you know, they were, I, they were odd things that sort of uh, Journey to the End of the Night by Celine, um, oddly for reasons I can't understand the sheltering sky. Like there were things that were in my mind in the background that weren't as directly, they were sort of, sometimes when I write, what I do particularly as I, I edit my own um, stuff is that I create these little sort of compasses in my mind um, of, you know, different sort of impulses that I, I sort of in writing, I admire in impulses that I, I can see sometimes in my own work. And I put them in opposition to each other. So like I had um, bloody blood meridian on one side and then directly across from that, I had um, journey to the end of the night. Um, mm. And, and so the way I use this was I would go like, if I feel like I'm getting too much in a blood meridian territory, I have to remember what was so, what I lo loved. And I understand Celine is hugely problematic, but what I loved about, um, the narrator in the first few chapters of journey to the end of the night, you know, that sense of satire and war and violence and just sort of like dancing off, you know what I mean? And so I, I, I thought about those books. Um, you know, I think I was, music was a much more, um, 
I, I'm a musician myself, and I think music actually affected was like Radiohead. You know, I would say Amnesiac. So it has and, a soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, I think those that was more of an effect to how I emotionally, uh, you know, whenever I what I do also for my own editing is that as I start to write, I create a soundtrack for different characters and their movement and key points, uh, topography of the novel. And, and then when I'm been writing for a couple of years and I no longer feel like I care, you know what I mean? Like I'm very disengaged or I can't come back to a scene. I play the soundtrack to remember how I felt when I first wrote that scene. So like the, the whole section on Grace when they go to visit Grace in this terrible dinner scene um, was Hard Rain's Gonna Fall by Dylan. Like I can tell you that there were certain, there was a lot of grinder men in, mm. um, in, in Zazen when I was writing, like, um, and, and, and then also radio, radiohead. Um, anyway, I know that that's not, that may not be a satisfying answer, but that's the honest answer of how I was emotionally relating to the work through other people's work. And in a couple of the reviews, there's the inevitable or comment about the Orwellian quality of the book and sort of an up updated Orwellian, um, interpretation of the world i mean it's not 1984 but you do have rats in the book uh it's kind of scary the rats are the i, I guess again you know in uh, like in camus the plague are the metaphor for everything that's gone wrong um why rats vanessa um i did have pet rats at that time i wish I could oh my god answer. Uh, my daughter had some pet rats but i think that they are a sign of what's gone wrong, but they themselves were to me more like these wild, feral spirits that could go in any direction that did not have you as the center of their world. You know what I mean? Like that, I think mm -hmm. Miyazaki was another big influence for me. Um, and, and the way that he positions things like the forest spirit and princess Mononoke, um, things that like are dangerous in their lack of attachment to the world you live in, but not necessarily bad, but, you know, could kill you instantly. I mean, you know, so I think. Well, their nature. And, and I mean, the book is less about the environmental apocalypse than some of your other work, but it's still in it, isn't it? Yes. I think, I don't know how you write in our generation and the generations, you know, coming after without that being a presence, whether it's stated or not stated. And like it or not, Vanessa, you're often described as a feminist writer, for better or worse, whatever that means. Um, I'm a feminist. I don't have a problem being yeah, a feminist. Um, we had Jennifer Higgy on the show a couple of weeks ago. She has a wonderful new book out about female self-representation in art. Mm -hmm. um, I thought of her in terms of the main character in your book, because it's a form of self-representation, isn't it? You are stamping a, 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 a female sensibility in, in, in Zazen. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, at the time, and it's still a common discourse, but, you know, there are real differences between, you know, Della was considered by, when I tried to get it published, almost every publisher I talked to, um, not all, but almost every, um, said, I just can't relate to her you know, she just seems unknowable. You know what I mean? There is a sense that if 
you know, you've heard the critique about movies and people have written about it. Like if a female character doesn't have like an emotional, like they don't end up crying in, you know, by a certain, you know, minutes into the film, then they are unrelatable, you know? And, and so when this came out, that was much more in play than it is now. I think there's a lot of women writers who've sort of, you know, broken through and not accepted that barrier. Um, but that was very much in play when this first came out. And so in that sense, I think it's actually in a better environment now where Della's full character um, is, you know, is, is more allowable in a wider discourse than it was at the time. I mean, I just, there was a lot of sort of, I don't emotionally get her. Um, I don't feel like we go deep with her because the language for Della is a language of ideas. And we expect all, you know, in a way, these are generalities, but the great expectation of women fiction writers is that it's all biography. And the great expectation of male fiction writers is like, oh, you know, you can have Holden Caulfield wandering around doing nothing forever. And that's like, oh, there's a mystique to that, you know, uh, and, and, you know, not to mention things like the hunger or any other number of things where people sort of wander around, um, you know, and, and Hemingway obviously being the obvious sort of progenitor of a lot of that. But, but you know, I think that's not given to women writers. So the way that Della was perceived as somebody who was very uh, motivated and um, emotionally charged by ideas in the world was seen as like, well, we don't really know her. Well, we don't really know what means anything to her. Why is she the way she is? You know, there's just this very um, different... Uh, way of looking at female characters. And I think that's changed. I think there've been a lot of women writers in the last 10 years since this came out. And, um, and I think that's changed more. So I'm glad to see that change. Well, Vanessa, finally, uh, the book is back out. It's been brought back to life, resurrected. Um, what have you learned over the last 10 years in terms of the experience of writing a first novel? It's the most traumatic and yeah. challenging thing. You're one of the the few people who who not only found a real publisher but won awards and has become a professional writer. You're also a professional activist, union activist in some ways. Um, what have you learned over the ten years? What advice would you give to aspiring writers who 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 who, who want to write about the world in fictional form? So, the number one thing I would say to anybody is, and I had to tell myself this, when I sat down to write, I was like, I have just as much chance of writing this novel as anybody else in the world. Uh, it is nobody, even people who've written a million short stories, you know, they, they often can't write a novel, you know? And so it's like, there's the act of doing it is highly democratic to me. So it was like, I had, I had told myself over and over, I have just as much chance as anybody else that I'm going to write this novel. And I think that finishing is what starts to make the difference for writers, whether it's short stories. When you start to finish and you start to get to the ends, then all of a sudden it changes. You know, I did not know until I hit the last chapter of the novel that I could finish the novel. I mean, I consciously expected to in a lot of ways, but I didn't really know. And when I finished it, I became a novelist. And, and I just really believe in the democracy of you sit down, you've got just as much chance as anybody else. Now that doesn't go to like, your time or the privileges around that or any of those complexities. I mean that just as a sort of basic, basic statement. Well, wise, wise advice for aspiring writers from Vanessa Vasalka. 
Um, you are wise, even if you don't admit it, Vanessa. Um, you're, you're not. Your old new book, Zazen, is just out. Um, it's a wonderful read, and it's... Um, I don't know whether people should read it before or after the great offshore grounds, but you need to read them both and all your other work. Uh, what else are you reading these days, um, Vanessa, to keep yourself sane or active? Um, still reading labor law. Um, but That's interest- I- Is that interesting or does it send you to sleep? Oh, no, it enrages me. I mean, I, I, you know, uh, there's the, the labor law in this country in a lot of ways for workers is like the most crooked NDA that was ever signed, you know, but I'll leave that where it stands. I Ruin by Kara Hoffman. Um, it's coming out, I think, in the next couple of months. And I just thought it was great. It's a collection of short stories. I've always liked her writing. I think she is an overlooked, you know, American writer. And, and I just like the, in, she's very political as well, but there's just a, an intimacy and a um, a kind of just raw anarchic uh, valuing of life in her work that I really like. Um, I'm reading for the first time. Everything is illuminated, and enjoying that. Oh, I've read that. Yeah, and uh, and those are the things that are sort of immediately in my sphere. Um, I would say that um, I'm going, I'm leaving my work in, in labor, um, which I've done at different times and returning to writing full time. And so I'm just turning my brain back into that level of deep concentration that allows for a lot of fiction reading. And um, in fact, that's how I'm doing, going to do my transition. So I have like stacks and stacks of novels right now that I'm really looking forward to mid-November. I'm just going to sit down and read for a month. And, well, that's uh, good news for Vanessa yeah. Veselka fans. I know there are more and more of you out there. She's back to writing. She's dropping labor law, stopping being enraged, and she's going to go back to throwing her metaphorical bombs and exploring the issues of rage in contemporary society. Vanessa, as always, a real honor and a Thank lot of fun you. talking to you. Best of luck with the new book, and I hope uh, we're going to talk about it in the not-too-distant future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me.